Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150. Great show today, as always. Great to be here also. Eric, how's it going? Hey, good afternoon, Julie. Happy December. Thank Great you. to have you in the studio. Not crazy. It's December. I know. This year just went by like that. It's like, it's actually like, you know what? People say it all the time like, oh, I can't believe it's all right. You know, I can't believe it's whatever. And it's like, I actually, like, December, what? <laughs> right. Holidays? Well, I had my 20 year high school reunion last weekend in um, Massachusetts, and uh, it was fun. Good. I did get asked. Not depressing at all then? No. <laughs> okay, good. Not for me. <laughs> no, I was just like, oh my gosh, I, you know, all these faces and of and people who I spent my childhood with, it was really wonderful to see so many people. And of course, I got asked some dog questions because a lot of them know through Facebook and such that I, you know, work with dogs and have the show and all that. And well, hopefully we have some new listeners uh, yeah. out there. So, yeah, I hope uh, so. Welcome. Good evening, Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. Inevitably, though, there you know, there's like, oh, you work with dogs. My dog, no, 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 you know. Uh, so it was cool. I, was, I hope I was able to help some people out and give some guidance. I think that's the great thing about our careers, that are, they're both conversation starters. For sure. When people say, oh, I work in radio, and, and you're doing both, so you've got double conversation starters. You know, you're never short for something to talk about when you meet somebody. So it's <laughs> got to be kind of cool. It is. That's a good point. It is. I mean, uh, it was I, – I actually woke up the next morning with, with barely any voice left. That's how much I was actually talking. And, of course, it was super loud. So anyway, it was fun. Shout out to Massachusetts and um, and the Medfield High School class of 1995. I just dated Go fighting. Uh, What's the Medfield uh, mascot? Uh, warriors. Go fighting warriors. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to be talking in a, uh, about 10 minutes, starting with um, Arlene Weintraub, who is the author of a book titled Heal. Now, because this is a show about dogs, I need to clarify that it's spelled H-E-A-L, mm. not H-E-E-L, because that word is played on quite a bit in our in our dog world. Heal, H-E-A-L, the vital role of dogs in the search for cancer cures. So a uh, really interesting book. I certainly learned a lot, and I'm looking forward to talking with her and sharing her and her book with you. Um, before we do, though, I did want to announce... Um, there is an event coming up uh, this Saturday, December 5th. Um, it's being hosted by A Help Project, Animal Hospice, End of Life, and Palliative Care. That's what A Help stands for. And it is a um, art therapy and remembrance event. So, of course, uh, they A Help does a lot of work with uh, supporting people, uh, you know, during and through and after the end-of-life process with their pets. And uh, you can create meaningful gifts, memorialize a beloved pet, and share a moment of remembrance led by their support circle facilitator um, for your animals who are no longer with you. And I've actually been to one of those before, um, and it was really awesome. Everybody got to say something about the pet they were remembering, and of course everybody's crying, and you know, with grief, it's sad, and people don't generally like to feel sad, but it's just part of the deal. 
And it's um, a really effective way to move through that grieving process is to just feel the feelings and to get support from community and uh, also expressing, you know, remembering your pet and and, um, making something artistic is also really healing as well. So that is uh, Saturday, December 5th. This Saturday, it's going to be up in Edmonds at Splash Dog. And you can go to the A-Help Project's website. You can also find them on Facebook for information about the event as well and to just be a part of their community if you're interested in doing this. Um, It looks like tickets are $25, and that goes to pay for um, the, you know, art supplies and all that good stuff that they're providing. And it is at 2 p.m., um, this Saturday, December 5th at Splash Dog in Edmonds. So you can go to ahelpproject.org and go to their uh, upcoming events tab on the right-hand side, and this will come up, and you can get all the details there. That's ahelpproject.org. Uh, there was a, <clears throat> a speaking of, well, old dogs anyway, <laughs> hopefully not end of life, but our, our Lois, who we've talked about, she's an old dog haven uh, final refuge dog, which means that we got connected with Lois through Old Dog Haven, which is a, an amazing organ, a local organization that gets dogs out of shelters and into loving homes, regardless of how long they may have left. Um it's really, really amazing work that they do. The organization is incredibly well run. It's very, very inspiring, both uh, how well, what a well-oiled machine they are and the work that they do is really awesome. And we uh, were inspired to take an old dog, Haven dog into our home as a final refuge dog and give her a home for however long she had left. And we've had Lois for a year and a half now. She was uh, told, we were told she was going to be a hospice dog meaning they didn't think she had that much longer to live. And with the help of the Natural Pet Pantry, who's provided Lois their excellent cooked stew to live off of, and of course that's you know some of the best nutrition you can get a dog, uh, we were able to take over 20 pounds off of her. She was very, very overweight. It was uh, impacting her ability to breathe. Um, so Natural Pet Pantry was super generous, as they always are, um, in providing her with their food. And um, then we've been taking Lois to Jet City Animal Clinic for her care. And Dr. Anderson and her team have been wonderful there as well. And Lois has aspiration pneumonia now. Uh, There's uh, quite a bit of kennel cough and upper respiratory infections going around now in the dog community. And, uh, you know, just kind of like how lots of people are sick now. There's lots of dogs that have sort of the equivalent of a cold or flu as well. And Lois has a um, compromised airway. She has scar tissue around her trachea. We're not sure if she lived with a heavy smoker or, you know, or worse. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so for her to have some sort of respiratory infection is is even more dangerous. And she is going for a procedure this afternoon to try to to further diagnose so that they can treat her more effectively. And there's risk in that, you know, risk involved in that procedure because they have to put her under for it. She's been up the past couple nights coughing like crazy, and it's just um, scary to have a, you know, old compromised dog get sick and 
um, and hard to, you know, I think parents can relate to this as well to human children, hard to, you know, you can only do all that you can do and all that you know to do. And then the rest, you just have to let their bodies kind of do, you know, heal or, or what. So, um, feeling a little scared this afternoon about Miss Lois and, um, you know, hopefully she comes through with flying colors and heals up from this no problem at all and uh, lives many more years with us. But uh, if you're listening, we would appreciate your uh, thoughts and prayers for Lois this afternoon and evening. And um, and uh, we'll definitely keep you posted on that. So uh, good luck, Lois, today. She's going into... Um, what used to be Access down in Renton is now a Blue Pearl veterinary partner. Uh, she's going there for their procedure, and they've been great. That's where I had to take her in the middle of the night when she was coughing a couple days ago. So we love you, Lois, and good luck, um, and thanks for your thoughts and prayers for her. And then um, there was an interesting um, post by Patricia McConnell, who I have had on the show and who's uh, very well known in the in the world of uh, animal behavior, dog behavior and training specifically. And uh, she wrote an interesting post that if if I have time today, I will address. But I did post it on our Facebook page, so you can sort of ponder this. If I don't get to it in the show today, you can ponder it on our Facebook page. Um, this idea of whether dogs should, whether we should expect dogs to be responsible for themselves. Uh, Okay, well, what does that mean? I mean, I think the first thing for these kinds of conversations is that we have to be clear about what we mean because there's ways where it, it would not be fair to expect a dog. One of the most common examples in this conversation is like when people say, oh, the dog knew that they shouldn't do that. And it's like, well, not necessarily. So, um, I don't know. It brings up a lot, and it it definitely brings up a lot of interesting conversation around this topic. Um, And she wrote a post about it, and there's lots of interesting comments. Um, I certainly contributed a comment to it. I shared the post on our Facebook page. You can just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and it's the top post right now um, on our timeline and you can check it out and kind of uh, make a comment and see what you think about it. And if I have time today, I will um, revisit that at the end of the show and share my comments today. However, I'm happy to go off to our first break so that we can come back with Arlene Weintraub, who is the author of a book called Heal, The Vital Role of Dogs in the Search for Cancer Cures. Very interesting stuff. I'm looking forward to talking with her And we will be right back with Arlene in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Yes, I had no dog and his name was Blue. Well, I had no dog and his name was Blue. Bet you five dollars he's a good dog, too. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options, 
to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Next week on Conversations Live, in 438 days, an extraordinary true story of survival at sea, investigative journalist Jonathan Franklin tells of a fisherman who cheated death for 14 months, surviving on the open sea for longer than anyone in history. How did he live to tell the tale? What sustained his unbreakable will to endure? Tune in Monday at noon to find out, and listen to archive shows at conversationslive.net. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. Don't be fooled by cheap imitations. There's only one Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And talking with Arlene Weintraub. Arlene, am I saying your last name right? Yes, you are, and thanks so much for having me. Good. Well, thanks for being here, and thanks for for writing this really very uh, informative book. Uh, It's titled Heal, H-E-A-L, The Vital Role of Dogs in the Search for Cancer Cures. And uh, I definitely learned a lot. I've done um, a number of shows over the years about canine cancer, which unfortunately is... Uh, super common, you know, in dogs as well as, you know, of course, human cancer as well is is really common, unfortunately, in people. And um, various angles on it. I've interviewed the founder of Chase Away Canine Cancer, which actually raises money to fund, uh, you know, cancer research. Um, and then author of a book titled uh, When Your Dog Has Cancer, which was sort of informative for people going through that process talking about the different kinds of cancer, et cetera. And your book really talks about um, kind of two main angles on this conversation, which is, you know, the the how dogs and their owners will participate in uh, sort of uh, drug trials where they're sort of testing these drugs to see, you know, to try to find some effective cures, Um for cancer and how people and their dogs can participate in these drug trials, you know, of course, voluntarily, and and then also how that benefits uh, 
you know, the efforts to trying to find these drugs to help humans as well, because I didn't know this particularly about cancer and tumors, but that cancer in dogs actually behaves very similarly to cancer in humans, which was really interesting to learn in your book, Arlene. So I wanted to start off before we get into the details of, you know, the information of the book was to just start off and ask you as an author, what inspired you to write this? Well, um, I was working uh, on staff at Business Week magazine back in 2009 as a science writer. And at the time, I was experiencing a terrible personal tragedy, which is that my sister, who was 47 years old, was diagnosed with gastric cancer stage 4. Mm. And it was, uh, it was one year from diagnosis to the time that she lost her battle against the disease. And during that year, these two veterinarians from Texas A&M University showed up in, in my office and were talking about this research they were doing called comparative oncology. Mm-hmm. And the idea being that dogs get some of the same cancers that people get, and they were doing these trials that could end up helping both species and and really were aimed at finding new innovative cures. And I was was really inspired by this. I, of course, went back to my desk and did a search, (laughs) dogs and gastric cancer, and was stunned to discover that they also get gastric cancer Mm -hmm. and... You know, I think I had known in the back of my mind that dogs get cancer, but I didn't really understand how similar uh, the experience was for them as it is for people. And I just started looking into it, writing some articles about it, and it became a book. Mm. So one of the things that, you know, this this idea of comparative oncology, first of all, I'm sorry that you lost your sister to this. You You really are clear in your book about how devastating that was for you. Um, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, is, uh, you know, one of the things that I've, that's sort of flashed up in my mind over the years about, you know, we're raising money for cancer research or <clears throat> even in reading, uh, even though you're clear about it in your book, it's like, oh, you know, dogs, uh, uh, you know, cancer behaves very similarly in dogs as it does for humans. And then I think, oh, no, that means that there's laboratory testing being done on dogs and you know, I've done shows over the years with, like, for example, Beagle Freedom Project, which is working to get dogs out of laboratory testing and all that kind of stuff. And the thing about this that's so cool is that, you know, this is not that, you know, this comparative oncology is is voluntary and uh, something that the dog's guardian uh, is is sort of signing their dog up for thinking that it's, you know, potentially going to give their dog a chance at life uh, in addition to helping the efforts to, you know, to help people. With- right. And, and and that's something, you know, I traveled around to uh, more than a half dozen veterinary schools that participate in this research. And it was something that was made clear to me from the very beginning. This is not animal research. This is exactly the same as if if you were enrolling in a clinical trial or you were enrolling a child in a clinical trial, it's the, the main goal of these trials is to help the patients. And in the case of veterinary clinics, it's actually the, the number one top goal to the point where 
if the dogs are suffering or if the dogs are not getting better, they're taken out of these trials because yeah. veterinarians are very clear about their ethics that, that the patients come first and their well-being comes first. And if science gains something, that's fantastic, but that's not why, you know, they're, they're participating in these trials. Right. I think there was one uh, one of the people who you interviewed, I don't remember which one, but they were very clear when they were talking to you uh, that they were motivated not to help humans, but to help their dog. You know, it was like, well, it's great that it could potentially help people, but I want to save my dog's life. Right. Um, yeah. So, and there's so many different, I thought it was really interesting because um, this was not an aspect of this world that I had learned about yet. And one of the things that I just love about this show is that I keep meeting people like you, uh, various authors or directors of organizations, and I get to learn so much. But but I really learned, you know, you talk a lot about these when you're giving your sort of sharing stories of and interviewing people who have participated in these trials with their dogs uh, for various different drugs and cancers. And I thought it was so interesting to learn about how they're how these drugs are sort of working to essentially kill cancer. I mean, some of them uh, cut the blood supply off of tumors, for example, or it was just like the science of it was so interesting to me um, in how they're trying to design and engineer these drugs to, you know, to eliminate cancer. It was, uh, it was really cool to learn about that. Right. And a lot of these concepts were really pioneered, Thanks to the participation of, of dogs in these trials, I have a dog at the very beginning of my book who was diagnosed with cancer at the age of two, mm-hmm. a golden retriever, mm-hmm. and he was put on one of these drugs that cuts off the blood supply to tumors, and he lived for another uh, nine years. He, he was essentially cured of that cancer, and they didn't really know so much about that mechanism of cutting off the blood supply to tumors at the time, but now it's the basis of many, many cancer drugs that are used in, in both dogs and people. Mm. Yeah, I mean, then they're getting better and better at this. Uh, there were lots of talking about different mutations and understanding uh, what makes this disease tick, you know, and uh, and therefore being able to to design drugs to sort of attack them and and get rid of them. And um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting, you know, in more so in the world of behavior, that's my area of expertise is dog training and behavior. And I've had a lot of conversations, you know, in that field with different, um, you know, experts and scientists is. You know, there's a lot of research, you know, in the last decade that's been done on how dogs learn and communicate and experience the world and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, there's been a lot of uh, it's interesting how well dogs and humans can communicate with each other. Um, even and dogs are better at reading human gestures, human gestures than, say, primates who are more who are genetically closer to us. And then, um, you know, you're talking about dogs in, you know, in this research compared to primates and the reasons why dogs are better for this. And one thing in particular that I thought was really interesting was how you talked about one of the things that dogs and humans have in common 
is the how much we vary in our uh, phenotype. I think it was phenotypic expression. So um, how our genes are expressed. You know, I'm looking at. You know, if you look around in a group of a hundred people, everybody looks so different as an individual. And then when you look at dogs, you know the same thing. If you look in a in a dog park or something, you're going to see Chihuahuas and Newfoundlands and Labs and you know gray dogs and tan dogs and black dogs and dogs with prick ears and dogs with floppy ears and curly tails and you know all that kind of stuff. And I never made that connection before. Right, and that's really important in cancer research because that's one of the things that makes dogs more like people. Uh, you know, when, when you look at the rodents, the mice and the rats that are traditionally used to test new products, they're so completely different from us, even though they're they're close to us genetically, but a lot of those animals are clones. <laughs> so mm-hmm. one is just like the one next to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't develop cancer naturally like dogs and people do, mm-hmm. and so they have to be given the disease in, in some ways. And that's why uh, uh, scientists believe that a lot of cancer drugs end up failing in people. They might look great in mice and rats, and then they just don't work in people. And, and they think it's because, it, it, you know, it's such a, a contrived situation with with animals that are used in research laboratories mm-hmm. versus our pets and our homes that, that you know, are, are living in the same environment that we are and experiencing the world the same way and developing cancers the same way. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, compared to, like, mice or something like that, but then even compared to, like, chimpanzees that if you look at, you know, 20 chimps, they sort of relatively look very similar um, versus people. I mean, back to that difference in in uh, or similarity that dogs and humans have. I was just like, oh my gosh, I never even thought of that. But even uh, you know, even not just mice versus people, but even like chimpanzees versus people, uh, which is kind right. Of interesting. And, and interestingly, uh, chimpanzees don't have a very high rate of cancer either. So uh, you know, that's also a artificial situation when you're using. Uh, primates in research. Mm-hmm. Well, and another thing that you had talked about in your book, and we're talking about um, Arlene's book, Heal, spelled H-E-A-L. I always have to clarify that because this is a show about dogs, right? So a lot of people are like, what's it, Heal, H-E-E? <laughs> so that's a word is certainly played on a lot. H-E-A-L is the title of the book, Heal, The Vital Role of Dogs in the Search for Cancer Cures. Um there's so many factors to it. There's so much of, you know, obviously so much mystery to this this beast of cancer in both dogs and people. And, um, you know, another benefit that you mentioned in your book is that uh, dogs live in our environments with us, you know, and they, so there, that's another factor to, um, you know, that's similar to, you know, what might impact an individual in either the development of cancer in the first place or also how they might respond to treatment, things like environmental toxins, diet, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that was an interesting point to make as well that we share with dogs is our lifestyle. Right. And actually, while I was writing this book, a very innovative study was launched by the Morris Animal Foundation uh, and I, I believe they call it the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study, and they 
enrolled a couple thousand um, golden retriever puppies in this study, which mm-hmm. they're going to track over their entire lifetime mm-hmm. to look at things like cancer development and environment and diet and all the things that might contribute to the development of diseases like cancer. And unfortunately, golden retrievers are very prone to cancer. Yeah. So that could be a very informative study, both both for for dogs and for people. I was so glad that you mentioned that organization because that's one that's been on my radar that I've been wanting to interview. And I was like, ah, oh, that's what they're called. And that like uh, reminded me to get in touch and kind of find out more about, um, you know, their work in depth. And yeah, the, I mean, the thing about Goldens that I've heard people say in the dog industry is it's not a question of um, if it's a question of when, unfortunately. I mean, a lot of people say that. And I think you said in your book, I can't remember exactly what was it, what what percentage of it was of Goldens who end up with cancer in their lifetime? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a very high percentage. And, and some cancers are, are particularly prevalent in the breed, particularly lymphoma. Mm. And, uh, and they do get a similar type of lymphoma to what people get. So, yeah, that... that Lifetime study could end up being very informative for certain types of of cancer. Mm-hmm. Will be interesting. Do you know when that started? So they're following. I think this is really smart too, where they're starting the study with these dogs as puppies, right? So it's not after the fact. There's going to be able to gather data from individuals who develop cancer and individuals who don't. Right, and they're also hoping to enroll the dog's offspring so that they'll mm-hmm. have one or two or three <laughs> generations yeah. um, beyond the original enrollees that they can also track because that would help to shed some light on how g- genetics and family history might right. play into the development of diseases like cancer. Yeah, so interesting. Um, now, you have a dog, don't you? Yes, I do. Molly. What kind of dog? She's a terrier mix. Uh huh. And how old is she? Well, I rescued her, so I I don't know for certain, but I tell people she's at least nine years old at this point. Yeah. And how long have you had her? I've had her uh, since uh, 2008, so almost seven years now. Cool. And, um,. You know, it's interesting. She she's been very healthy, but in in doing this book, I, I've come to the conclusion that I would not hesitate to enroll her in a clinical trial. Yeah, <laughs> because I just think there are so many so many benefits to it for dog owners, for dogs to get access to cutting edge therapies, mm-hmm. and so many of the diseases are similar in people that it, that it has to help people too. Ultimately, yeah. One of the things that you said in in the book, and, and again, uh, you know, this was really inspired by the, the loss of the devastating loss of your sister um, to cancer. And you were really motivated to kind of, you know, learn more about this and, and contribute to the efforts to try to help help someone else. Um, you know, it uh, you talked a bit about believing in. In science, this kind of came through a few times in the book. Um, I believe, you know, I believe in science, and um, 
that you and in, in one at one point um the word faith and science were in the same sentence i think it was a faith having faith in science and it's so interesting because science i have a science degree i love science i've talked with a ton of scientists and i'm all about it and i'm i also have a strong faith it's not necessarily institutional religion but i also feel very you know like i have a strong faith as well and um Science is so much about, I mean, kind of the whole point is that you're really embracing the unknown. You're trying to understand what we don't understand yet. And uh, I thought it was, um, you had talked about how science had failed your sister and um, and, and that your, your, your sort of belief in science and... and um, and it's just kind of an interesting contrast because to engage in science is to sort of engage in the unknown and sort of be with what we don't know in an effort to try to to try to know what we didn't know, you know, before. Right. And yeah, I mean, I um, had completely lost my faith in science at the time that I found out about this field of comparative oncology. And towards the very beginning of the reporting process, I, I went and I met these two scientists in Silicon Valley, actually, who had enrolled their dogs in one of the first comparative oncology trials uh, for this drug that we were talking about before that cuts off the blood supply to tumors and it targets certain genetic mutations in tumors and so forth. And, you know, they said to me, we believe in science. And, you know, I thought that was so optimistic on their part because their relatively young dog, I think she was six or seven, you know, was dying of cancer, and they didn't know how this drug worked, and they enrolled the dog in the trial anyway, and they got two years of life out of it, Mm -hmm. which is a lot (laughs) um, in dog years when you think about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was when I first started to feel a glimmer of hope, (laughs) and then the more veterinary schools that I went to and the more um, research that I learned about, I just felt that I was regaining my hope <laughs> in science, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's sort of it struck me because I've heard scientists, um, so this is like a, a massive generalization, so I'm not saying all scientists or science in general or whatever, but there seems to be a, a contrast between science and faith. And scientists, I've, I've heard in conversations that I've witnessed between actual, you know, scientists, which I'm not, is um, sort of an almost, in, um, science is their faith in a way, but that they, they don't sort of believe that they're not necessarily religious. There's a lot of scientists who um are are not religious where they they're almost like their faith is in science but i f- i found it interesting to even use that language it's like well you do have faith it's just that it's in science it's not in mm-hmm. you know something else right and there's also like it's so clear that there's just so much unknown i mean there is so much mystery to well why did this dog respond so well to this drug why didn't this dog res- you know i mean how does this dog, How you know, we'll get into this conversation um, here shortly, but like in the second part of the book where you talk about, you know, dog's ability to, de- to detect cancer in others 
So sort of shifting the conversation from dogs who have cancer, who are battling cancer, and then dogs who are like telling their owners, you've got something wrong here. Go check it out, basically. I mean, you talked about, um, you gave a number of really great stories about, you know, this dog who was like jumping up on her owner and like pushing, like uh, sort of pushing her in in the chest and and like, hey, 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 like when she was getting out of the car or something like that. And then she ended up, uh, it turned out that she had breast cancer that was like a very deep rooted and hard to detect. I don't think it even showed up on a mammogram. Right, and interestingly, she, as a career, she was training uh, medical detection dogs, yeah. including the one who pushed up against her chest, and and that started a whole um, mission by her organization to look into this idea that dogs can sniff cancer. Yeah. It's one of the examples that I, I think, I mean, I've talked about this in a number of different ways. You know, scent detection in general is so interesting to me trying to wrap your brain around what it is like to experience a dog's sense of smell. And, you know, you gave some interesting sort of uh, figures about the, you know, the dog's, uh, the part of the dog's brain, for example, that analyzes scent is 40 times larger than the part of our brain that analyzes scent. And then you talked about the, the, difference in in you know to the millions of you know receptors in the uh, nasal cavity or um, you know there's all of these different ways that measurable ways that dog's sense of smell is clearly more sensitive and then it's you know people are saying and you say in your book millions of times more sensitive than ours right so it's like, well, how do you even wrap your brain around what that must be like to experience as an animal? Right. You know? Uh, yeah, and what's, what's great about that is that uh, scientists have figured out pretty quickly since these reports first emerged that dogs could do this, they've been able to figure out pretty quickly what it is exactly that the dogs are smelling. Uh-huh. And it's basically chemical changes, minute chemical changes that come out in our breath or our blood or our urine uh, that lets them know that something's not right. And uh, and I think uh, the most promising part about this will be the ability to translate this into electronic noses, <laughs> some people call them, or, or diagnostic devices that can mimic the dog's nose. I think uh, that that would be really exciting to be able to detect cancers that cannot cannot otherwise be detected early enough to cure. Well, and the thing, I want to talk about the the electronic nose, but before that, you know, when you're talking about the dog's ability to sense the changes, the chemical changes in, like, breath, for example, and and then, and you mentioned this in your book, like, even though somebody ate a lot of garlic the night before. I mean, you know, so they're like, they're able to to sense this in the presence of so many other chemical changes that are happening in the breath, for example. Right. All the time anyway. Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, it's like imprinting that they do for search and rescue dogs. They can be taught to sniff the cancer and then they will be able to smell it no matter what other smells are, are there that you think would be able to mask the 
yeah. cancer smell. And, so, and it's really incredible because obviously they're smelling something that none of us can smell. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Not even close. So there's right. something that they're being um, trained to focus on. Right. And um, that was something I was actually talking with a client before I came here today about this interview and about how dogs can smell cancer. And she was like, what? Yeah, it's so interesting. And um, she's like, I don't even know. Like my dog, you know, they have a, a puppy, uh, you know, cockapoo puppy. And she's talking about how she's wasn't even sure if her dog could smell a treat, you know, through a plastic cup. And, and, and it's like, well, it's something that they are, you, you know, it's a skill that's sort of honed and, and they're really trained and learn, you know, learn how to really focus that, that ability to smell. So it's not just something where, I mean, there are some cases I think where dogs will be able to tell if something's going on with their owner and they have not been trained to do that. I mean, seizure alert dogs are a great example of that. I don't think that they've figured out yet exactly what dogs are picking up on. Right. They're just doing it. Yes. Um, so, and the diabetic alert dogs, also the uh, the situation there is very similar to the cancer, which is that they're they're smelling minute chemical changes. Yeah. It's ketones, is that right? For diabetic, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know it's just incredible. So, with this electronic nose, so to speak, do you know? Um, you know, you talked about it in the book, um, but do you know like how far they've gotten? As far as I think that is such an interesting project to take on to try to develop a machine that can be as chemically sensitive as a dog's nose. I mean, that is so awesome. Um, do you know how far they've gotten with that or kind of where they're at with that? Well, a number of institutions have, have built prototypes, including the Cleveland Clinic, but uh, the Technion Institute in, in Israel actually is the furthest along on this because they have developed a number of devices and, and put them into human clinical trials. So that's going on now, and, and they've been able to show, including with gastric cancer, by the way, that, um, that these electronic noses can detect the difference, for, for example, between early-stage gastric cancer and something um, less deadly, you know, like a like an ulcer, mm-hmm. and so these uh, these devices are in trials now. They're going to have to be. I think the challenge here is that they're going to have to be even better than the dogs. <laughs> the dogs have been shown to be over ninety percent accurate, but in order to get a device through the FDA and other regulatory agencies, I think it's going to have to be even better than that, like almost one hundred percent accurate, because. Right. You don't want to be getting things like false positives where you're scaring people or sending them off for other tests that might not be necessary. So, so it's it's going to be a a process of of perfecting the devices. But I'm I'm pretty optimistic that that we will see it happen. Well, and how it could be applied elsewhere too. I mean, I was just traveling over the holiday, and I always get so excited when I see this. But there was a dog uh, working. the security line, you know, as there's people standing in the at the airport waiting to go through security and there, you know, there's this woman walking a dog, a working dog through the line and the dog is, ch- you know, checking everybody in their bags. Um, I assume looking right. for explosives, but, you know, imagine what, how this could be applied if they're able to mimic um, through technology, the, you know, a, a com- 
a machine's ability to be sensitive to something, whatever it is, programmed, I guess, to be sensitive to, how that could be applied elsewhere as well. Right. And there are even ideas out there for using the actual dogs. Uh, I spoke to one woman who is uh, training a dog to be like a service dog for a woman who survived cancer and wants sort of the peace of mind of knowing that she's not having a recurrence. So that's one idea that's out there. I spoke to a, a different woman who who wants to develop a breath test that people would do at home and then they would send it in to be sniffed by her dogs. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah. Well, yes, it seems like there's there's we have a ways to go. There's so much that has been learned and uh, so much more that they'll continue to discover. And um, now, you know, we talked about sort of what motivated you to sort of engage in this process was the the loss of your sister and how devastating that was for you and, and how you just felt like you had to do something with that. Um, so how was the just, you know, on a personal level, how was you know, completing this book and the process for you, did you feel like it helped your grief process? Oh, it definitely did. It was it was very therapeutic. You know, I, I end the book by going to Tufts University where there's a veterinarian who has devoted a lot of her career to understanding gastric cancer in dogs. Mm-hmm. And meeting with her was just really uplifting because she is determined to find the genetic causes of this disease, which, of course, will end up helping people, too, because it's, it's very likely that we share some of the same genetic um, factors that might lead to this disease. And, and, you know, gastric cancer is a huge mystery. Uh, there's very little understood about what causes it. And so, you know, that type of research, I think, could could really get us far in being able to prevent this kind of tragedy from happening to other families. Mm-hmm. So I was very inspired <laughs> by the end of the process, definitely. Yeah. And, how, and you know, contributing to the cause with the work that you did and, you know, writing this book and putting together all this information, um, letting people know, you know, that, you know, so what are some ways that people can support the trial efforts if, if somebody has a dog um, who's been diagnosed with cancer? Is that something that they can ask their vet about? Are there are there any, you know, is this something that people can sort of seek or is it something that they have to be invited to participate in? No, they can definitely seek it out and I provide a lot of information in the book about where to go, but mm-hmm. on the internet there's uh, a lot of information. There's a Comparative Oncology Trials Consortium, COTC, and uh, if if um, anybody can Google that and get straight to a page that lists some some clinical trials, but I also recommend that that people call their nearest veterinary school mm-hmm. to get information because that's where a lot of the research is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned a, lo- a lot of different uh, vet schools: UC Davis, Tufts. We have um, Washington State University on the other side of our state. Um, well, it it was really great. I learned a lot. I appreciate, you know, the the time and energy that you put into writing the book and 
and uh, helping sort of promote this effort, the efforts to advance our understanding of cancer and, and how to treat it and hopefully find cures. Um, so was there anything else that's there for you as far as, um, you know, what you wanted to communicate in this conversation? No, I mean, I would just like to, to tell anybody out there who might be dealing with cancer and their, and their dog that the clinical trials are a really good opportunity to, um, to contribute to the search for a cure as well as to give your, your dog a, a chance at life that um, they may not otherwise have. And so I really encourage people to look into it. Yeah, and it sounds like they are pretty consistently, um, you know, very well run, that everybody's, like you said earlier, very sensitive to the, the comfort and, and experience of the dog and that if it doesn't look like it's, you know, a good fit or whatever, they'll, they'll kind of make the person stop even if the person wants to keep going um, and that everybody seems really um, mindful and sensitive to the dog's experience. So uh, definitely right. something to encourage people to participate in. Right. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Arlene. Again, the the book is titled Heal, H-E-A-L, The Vital Role of Dogs in the Search for Cancer Cures. And is it uh, sold where all fine books are sold? Uh, 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 Yes, you can can find it at all the major booksellers. Booksellers, online, and and, uh, and retail as well. Again, it's titled Heal, H-E-A-L. And if you've missed any part of our interview, you can find it archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. Just go to the podcast page. You can also go to iTunes and download it for free, um, along with all of our over 350 episodes. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break uh, and say goodbye to Arlene. Again, Arlene, thanks so much for your time today and for writing this really wonderful book um, titled Heal. And uh, my best to you and your efforts moving forward. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, you're welcome. All right, we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options, to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage on Vashon Island, we cover the world of animals. This week, December 6th, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and anything that helps our animal friends Sunday. We'll start out with the horses at Allbreed Equine Rescue in Marysville, and we'll finish with the Ananda Institute of Living Yoga and highlight their holiday happenings. In between, a whole new lineup, and we'll let out the Jingle Cats. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist, and owner of Sensitive Dog, 
thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's Dog Behavior Training and Nutrition Specialist www.sensitivedog.com Talk radio with a difference. Alternative Talk 1150 AM Welcome back to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Just have a few minutes left here today. Had a great conversation with Arlene Weintraub, the author of a book titled Heal H-E-A-L The Vital Role of Dogs in the Search for Cancer Cures. If you missed any part of that interview or any of our over 350 episodes now, you can find them all archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. You can also go to iTunes, download them for free. Be sure to find us on Facebook as well, The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. I post our interviews uh, directly to our Facebook page, and you can also be a part of our conversation in between our live shows every Wednesday at 2 you know, one of my, if not the favorite aspect of this that I, you know, for me in doing this show over the years is is getting to talk with people like Arlene, different authors, uh, you know, various organizations and individuals who are just doing really amazing things in the world of dogs. And I've learned so much and I love learning. And there's, you know, the more that I do this show... I mean, we've had over 350 episodes and, um, you know, they're each an hour long. So, you know, people are like, oh, my gosh, don't you run out of things to talk about? And it's actually the opposite. I the more that I do this, every show that goes by, the more that I feel like there is to talk about in this world. So I just so appreciate um, all the really brilliant people out there who are doing good things, um, you know, in the world of dogs and that I get to talk to them and share them with you. Um, I'm interviewing in a pre-recorded show on Friday, Bernie Siegel. I'm super excited about that. He has a new book, Love, Animals, and Miracles, that is out. And um, and then I'm interviewing another author live next Wednesday. Uh, it's a biography. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, certainly not an autobiography of a dog um, from World War One. Uh, who's uh, had a big role in in helping um, the efforts in World War One? Uh, a little terrier mix, and this guy's written a book about him. And I'm going to be talking about talking with him um, next week. So I'm super excited. So we will be back next Wednesday live at 2 p.m. Be sure to visit us online at dogradioshow.com. Let's check out all our ar- archives and all of my favorite doggy videos. Thanks for listening today. Have a great week. <laughs>